Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Welcome again to Vertical Life Church, all the V-lifers. We are entering Thanksgiving season or Thanksgiving week, just like Chris said this morning. You guys all have your turkeys and all your flour and everything purchased and ready to go. If not, I have a little inside information. You need to get on it because it is a madhouse at the grocery store. I started working a part-time job where I pick up uh, groceries for folks and deliver them to their homes, people that can't get out. And you'd be surprised how angry people get over condensed milk, you know, and, and, and uh, the, you know, all this stuff. So if you haven't gotten what you need... I would uh, strongly suggest today or tomorrow get in there because uh, stuff's going quickly. But uh, it's no secret that this pandemic is putting a damper on a lot of things. We will probably be celebrating Thanksgiving a little differently this year, some of us. Many who have had large family gatherings might not be gathering with their families this year. There are a lot of things that are uh, putting a damper on normal tradition. But I'm, I want to encourage you to be wise as our governments and the people that God has put over us are trying to lead us to health and, and wellness, to be wise, but also do not live in fear. Be wise, but don't live in fear. This, Paul said it to Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. What is a sound mind? It's not extreme in either direction. It's not extreme over protection where you're building a bunker in your home planning to spend the next 20 years underground. But it's also not living so carelessly you think nothing can touch you. Right? Be wise, but don't live in fear. Have a sound mind. Don't be irrational. You know, I think it's amazing, especially as we celebrate Thanksgiving, and I mentioned this to our team last night when we had our, our, t- uh, our leader meeting, that this idea of Thanksgiving didn't really... Uh, set in as how significant it was until we hosted a foreign exchange student. A few years ago, uh, Natalia came to live with us for a while, and we would celebrate with her as just we would as a part of our family. And I was talking with her, and she really didn't know much about Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a uniquely American holiday. Right? Like You don't stop to think about that often, but it is because of God's supernatural providence over the first pilgrims through those harsh winters and building what seemed to be uh, an impossible task, building one of the most successful countries, one of the most wealthy and blessed countries the world has ever known. It's remarkable. All the cards were stacked against us, yet God's providence has brought us to where we are. The idea of American exceptionalism is something that we take for granted. I was just listening this week to uh, a commentator who said, the idea that out of every country in the world, It is America that has produced a vaccine that's 90% effective in less than 12 months for COVID-19 is, should make you stand back and say, God, thank you for this nation. No other nation in the world has been able to do what America has been able to do. We live in an incredible country, and this day of Thanksgiving is not a day for getting fat and watching football. It's a day to honor the God who's blessed us with everything we have. It's a, it's a time to look back and say, God, look what you've done in my life. Look what you've done in our nation. 
that God's goodness, protection, and provision over those early colonists not only helped them survive, but also thrive. And it's fitting when looking at difficult times, we recognize that it is God, God alone who is our protection, God alone who is our provision, and he not only is interested in helping us survive, but his will is that we also thrive. Jesus came that we might have a rich and overflowing life, not one of destitution. We can thrive in any circumstance. And if the church, which is the light of the world, Jesus said, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. If the church is the light of the world and Jesus is the hope of the church, then what happens to the world when the light loses its hope? What happens? What does the world have to cling to? What does the world have to depend on? So it's vital that, especially as we're looking at Thanksgiving, we rekindle the hope that we have and we recognize it's not in the government we put our trust. What's the dollar bill say? In God we trust. It's not in an election or an official or a party. It's in the one who created everything who sits on the throne that we trust. Today we're going to do something I think is going to be special for us. But before we do, I just want to take a look as we're in the book of Leviticus. And I hope you're reading along at home as we're going through these these books and these studies. I want to highlight some of these things that God is revealing in his word as he's telling us the story ahead of time of what he's going to do when Jesus arrives. The very things that are just in the scriptures that are telling us this story of how God has been romancing our hearts, how he's been reaching out to us ever since he created the world. And we're going to look at some of these sacrifices we're told about in Leviticus to help us appreciate in a greater way the things Jesus has done for us. And beginning in Leviticus chapter 1, when we open the scripture right away, we see as God is speaking to Moses in the tent of meeting, he's giving him these instructions. Right away, he begins to give him a description of sacrifices and how to properly sacrifice. You see, they'd, they'd already sacrificed previously to the law being given. But God is saying, if you're going to sacrifice, here's how I want you to do it. Here's what is acceptable. And the first thing we see, number one, is that the sacrifices that are given have to be a male without any defect, without spot or blemish. And though not all sacrifices had to be male, the majority of sacrifices did. There were alternatives given as to being able to give a female animal or what types of animals that had to be given but it was done so, and he says right in his word, that the common people, people who maybe could not afford a sacrifice like a bull, that a common person could give an alternative animal. And he says it didn't have to be a male. It could be a female without blemish. And if you couldn't afford the goat or the sheep, you could offer something less, like a couple of birds. There are different things, different options that he gave. But the primary animal we see even in the sin offering was a bull without spot or blemish that had to be sacrificed. And if you think about the bull, the bull was probably the most expensive animal that they had. It provided the most meat. It was part of their majority of their food source, and it was rather expensive. In today's terminology, the average cost of a bull is $4,400 to $4,800 in average expense if you were to buy a bull today. So put yourself in their place. Every time you sinned, you had to sacrifice. Imagine if you had to pay out $4,400 to $4,800 a sin. I mean, how many sins have you already committed today and you've been up, what, how many hours? 
pride, arrogance, right? Laziness, apathy, not doing what you know you should do, like pick your clothes up off the floor. All this stuff that we, that we do, every time you sin against the Lord, $4,800. That's astronomical. Of course, not the average person could pay that. So God built within the system, within the law, he gave mercy to those who did not have the ability to pay. The requirement, generally speaking, was based on your ability to pay and what position you held in the community. What does that tell you about your God? We often look at the Old Testament sacrifices and say, wow, God was really harsh. Look at all these things that he required of Israel to do, right? What, is, what does this tell you when we look at, man, he required this, he required this, and if they messed up, then they'd get punished over here. And we try to lump God as like this mean, mean old man ready to smite you at, at the moment you make a mistake. And we kind of take that on ourselves. But in the moment God is setting the standard in the law for holiness and giving them the opportunity to have provision made for their sin, he's making provision for their provision. He's saying, if you can't meet this standard, I'm going to lower the bar here so that you can still have provision for your sin. What does that tell you of your father? Amen. It tells you he meets you where you are. He's not a legalist that says, here's the line. If you don't meet it, you're out of luck. It says, you, you didn't meet this standard? Well, too bad for you. No, it tells us that he is slow to get angry, compassionate, filled with unfailing love. Does he excuse sin? No, there's a sacrifice that is required. Blood is required to give forgiveness to the guilty. He doesn't excuse sin. He has the law. He has the standard. But he lowers the bar so that you can come to him. You can come as you are. You come the same, but yet you leave changed. You leave changed. See, it's legalism. Religion has invented this idea we call legalism. It's this idea that you have to be perfect in order to be valued, loved, or accepted by God. Legalism says if you don't hold every line, you're not acceptable. But yet Jesus, in Testament, he says don't judge others. Right? He says if you judge other people, you're going to be judged. The same measure you use to judge other people is the same measure that's going to be used against you. He says don't worry about the speck in your brother's eye when you have a beam, a log, hanging out of your own eye. But what legalism is, legalism is the ability to pick out everybody's speck. That's not right, that's not right, that's not right, that's not right, and that's not right. Holding everybody to this impossible standard of perfection. Why do you think Jesus said that? Not to condemn, not to disparage others. Because legalists, what they do, religious people and legalists, as they are pointing out everyone else's sin, they're denying their own. They're saying, if I can focus on your sin, I don't have to look at mine. I don't have to look at my beam when I'm putting attention on your speck. And they're denying their own sinfulness and their own self-righteousness. Right, beloved? What we see with God in the law is that he lowers the barrier to come to him. Legalists like to raise the barrier. Jesus is telling us, don't condemn the alcoholic if you have a caffeine addiction. They're both addictions. Don't, don't look at the gay couple and say how wicked when you go home and watch what gay couples do on television and call it entertainment. 
how many hypocritical standards do we hold? Right? There's so many people, and, and, and I just, it, it irks me because I've battled these very lies in my own life. Many men believe, hey, it's not wrong to look at the menu as long as you don't order off of it. When Jesus said, it's better you pluck out both of your eyes and enter in the kingdom blind than to have both of your eyes and enter into the fires of judgment because lust rules your heart. Because if you look at a woman with lust, it's the same as committing adultery before God. Sin is sin. You err in one part of the law, it's the same as breaking the whole thing. Don't, don't judge someone else because you're equally as guilty before God. But we like to do this as religious people, as, as legalists. We like to say, well, their sin's worse than mine, and so I'm better than they are. We'll focus on their sin so that I don't have to focus on my own. When God says, no, you're all guilty. There must be a sacrifice. There must be something to, to pay for your sin. But he also looks at us with grace and compassion. And he says, but yet I'm going to meet you where you are so that you can come to me. I'm not going to require a bull for everyone. I'm not going to require this. I'm going to come in what you can and do. And beloved, how amazing to know that the word of God says now because of what Christ did on the cross, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. It's not about your sacrifice. It's about his sacrifice. How low is that threshold that just says you just have to say yes to Jesus? Wow. Generally speaking, the sacrifice had to be a male without any blemishes. In Hebrews 4.15, the Bible says, We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we were, yet without what? Without sin. Our Savior was a male without blemish. He had no sin. Jesus is the only qualified candidate for the atonement because he is without sin, without spot, without blemish, pure and holy before the Lord. Not only did the sacrifice have to be a male without sin in general terms, but number two, before you could sacrifice the animal, you had to first present it to a priest before the Lord. They would take the sacrifices to the opening of the tabernacle and they would present to the priest the sacrifice. You weren't allowed to just go kill the animal and sacrifice it anywhere. Matter of fact, Jesus or God in the law told them if you do that, that's likened to murder. And you'll be cut off from the people. But you don't just kill the animal and sacrifice wherever you want. You definitely don't sacrifice to a false idol. You bring it before the Lord. Leviticus chapter 1 verse 3 says, bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle so you may be accepted by the Lord. Lay your hand on the animal's head and the Lord will accept its death in your place to purify you, making you right with him. So the reason why the animal had to be presented before the Lord is because you would put your hand on the animal and thence confer your sin to the animal. It would become guilty and you would become innocent. It would take your sin and you would receive its righteousness. And we can see how that works with salvation and the picture that is revealing. But in the time of Jesus, the high priest no longer resided in the court of the, the temple or the tabernacle, he had a palace of his own. But at the night Jesus was betrayed, they took him in the cover of night, and a legal trial was held, and they sent witness after witness to make accusations against him, and they couldn't find any credible witnesses. So finally the high priest asked him, okay, enough is enough, just tell us, are you the Messiah, the son of the living God? 
They couldn't find anything wrong with him. They couldn't find any accusation against him. They asked him, are you the Messiah? Jesus, in no uncertain terms, says, yes, I'm he. And they said, liar, you're guilty. Matthew 26, 66 to 67, they says, what is your verdict? Guilty, they shouted. He deserves to die. And then they began to spit in Jesus' face, beat him with their fists, and some slapped him. In the moment of his trial, as they pronounced guilt upon Jesus, what did they do? They began laying their hands on the Lord. The priests are laying their hands on the Lord. The ones that represent the people are putting their hands on the Lord, putting guilt on the one who is guilty. The one who is innocent in that moment was able to take on the guilt of those who are guilty. So awesome. Number three, there's the grain offering. In Leviticus chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, that there wasn't just animal sacrifices required. There were also grain uh, offerings, offerings of the harvest that were required. It says, when you present grain as an offering to the Lord, the offering must consist of choice flour. You are to pour olive oil on it, sprinkle it with frankincense, and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. The priest will scoop out a handful of flour moistened with oil and together with all frankincense and burn this representative portion on the altar. It's a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering will be given to Aaron and his sons. This offering will be considered a most holy part of the special gifts presented to the Lord. If your offering is a grain offering baked in an oven, it must be made of choice flour without any yeast. It may be presented in the form of thin cakes mixed with olive oil or wafers spread with olive oil. If your grain offering is cooked on a griddle, it must be made of choice flour mixed with olive oil but without any yeast. Break it in pieces and pure olive oil on it, and it is a grain offering. If your grain offering is prepared in a pan, it must be made of choice flour and olive oil. What is he saying? He's saying, if you bring any type of grain offering, I don't care how you cook it. You can put it in a pan. You can put it on a griddle. You, whatever you do, you got to bring choice flour and it's got to have olive oil on it. Put the oil on it. That's what he's saying. Why? Why choice flour? What is choice flour? It's the best you can provide. It's name brand. It's not the knockoff. Right? Well, God's saying, I want the best portion. I want it pure. I don't want it to have anything, anything in it. I don't want it to have any bugs in it or any dirt or anything. I want it to be choice. I want it to be the most expensive flour you can provide. I want it to be pure. I want it to be the best of the best. Don't bring me that name brand stuff. I know you get it a little cheaper. Buy the, buy the good stuff. Right? Or like we like to do that, especially now around the holidays. Can I get away with, you know, great value like cranberry sauce? Or do I got to go for the, the Welch's? You know, it's, it, we kind of do that. Like I can slip it in there. But he said, no, don't bring me the knockoff. Bring me the best of the best. Not the off brand, the name brand. What is the best of the best? It is what is set apart unlike anything else. That is the same word we have for holy. Bring me what is holy. It's going to require a sacrifice. It's going to require effort on your part. Don't just throw it together. Bring me the absolute best. It's going to cost you something. Bring me what is holy. And when we look at even just the title of Jesus, it is the only begotten Son of God. That word begotten does not mean born. That word begotten means unique one. Unlike anything else. What was the most priceless treasure God could give? 
It is his unique son of God. He gave choice flowers. He gave the best of the best. He emptied heaven's treasury to give us a sacrifice. Now you got to put oil on it. Oil, all through scriptures, representative of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was baptized in the water, down came the Holy Spirit. And he was anointed with the presence of God. Don't give me a choice flower that's got no spirit on it. God wants a spirit. Jesus said, if you're going to worship the Lord, worship in spirit and truth. God, God wants an anointing. He wants a gift that's anointed. And so here, it is a choice flower. It is a cake covered with the Holy Spirit. But also offered with it is frankincense. It is a, it's a scent that is used in the altar of prayer. It represents the prayers of intercession to the Lord. So what are we seeing in this grain offering? We're seeing the one who is choice flower, anointed with oil, the one who is perfect, unique, unlike anything else, anointed with the Holy Spirit, is being offered as a sacrifice to make intercession for the people. That he will intercede for you and for I. Not only did it have to have oil and frankincense with it, but it had to require no yeast, no leaven. So what's up with yeast? What's wrong with yeast, right? We put yeast in our bread. You can't go to the store and get bread without yeast. I tried one time. I tried to find bread without yeast. You can't find it. It's all got yeast in it. So what's wrong with it, right? Well, in Matthew 13, 33, Jesus gives us a parable. It says, Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast of a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. And we know that this is what yeast does. You use just a little bit in your, in your flour and you bake it and that thing expands exponentially. It, it infects, it permeates every aspect. You just need a little bit. You don't need a lot. What is yeast? It's a fungus. It's classified as a fungus. And if you have too much yeast, it can actually cause health problems in, in sickness. It can cause infections to incur. And so you only use a little bit. You don't want to overdo the yeast. Jesus uses another illustration of yeast in Matthew 16, 11. He says, why can't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? When I talk about yeast, I'm not talking about how you bake your food. I'm not talking about bread. So again, I say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And the Sadducees, what is he saying? He's saying they have an infection that's dangerous to you. They're not just religious, they're self-righteous. They ignore their own sin, and they're in error. You don't need any of that. It's impurity. It's spiritual impurity. A little bit of spiritual impurity, like breaking one part of the law, makes you guilty of all. A little bit of impurity infects the whole thing. That's why our righteousness is like filthy rags. The best that we can do is not good enough for the glory of God because just a little sin is still far below the standard of a righteous and holy God. So he's using yeast as an illustration. So the grain offering was to be given without yeast, without any infection or corruption, just like the sacrifice to be given was without spot or blemish. The sacrifices offered on the altar of the Lord must not be tainted or infected with any contamination. Otherwise, it cannot be blessed by God. 
when we see how this represents the pure and anointed body of Jesus that was given as an offering on our behalf. Number four, do not eat the fat. Where's my wife? Is my wife in here? I swear I could have heard an amen. You know, she's, every time we eat steak, she's like, you better cut that fat off. You better not eat any of that fat. You know, growing up, my family said, that's the candy. That's the part that tastes good. You just, you know, you just saw on and mix that in there, you know. But my, my family now, we're not allowed to eat any fat. So that's a point of contention in our household. But do not eat the fat. Leviticus 3.17 says, you must never eat any fat or blood. This is a permanent law for you. It must be observed from generation to generation wherever you live. So what does God have against animal fat? Right, we're looking at these dietary laws and we just read through this stuff and we're like, I don't get it. Okay, I'll just keep reading. You know, what, what's up with that? Things were not what they seem. It's not that God didn't like animal fat. It's that the people of God believed the fats were the richest and best parts of the animal. So just like the tithe, you give your first and your best, God also required the fat, which is the richest and the best part of the fat. It was the part he reserved for himself as food for him and him alone. And they didn't consider the fat unclean because later in Leviticus he says, you can use the fat for other purposes. You can make stuff out of it. You just can't eat it. No, don't, don't eat it. That's mine. Right? You, you, can, you can use it for whatever you want. Just don't eat it. The fat that he's speaking of here as well is not the subcutaneous fat that's found in muscles. It's actually the visceral fat that's found around the organs in the chest cavity. Uh, my buddy Rick took me hunting this past week, and I got to see him gut a deer. Believe it or not, this became very real to me when I watched him pull out the fat with his hands, you know, around all the, the organs and, and everything like that. It was awesome. It was, uh, it was, it was cool. But, uh, you know, you have fat that covers your organs and, and adds as a covering uh, protection element. It's also your stored energy. It's what it's. It, if you think of it like money, if you make a paycheck and you pay all your bills and you got extra left over, where do you put your extra money? Hopefully not in Starbucks. You put it in the bank, right? And over time, that bank account begins to grow, right? Similar to the body, you provide the body more energy than it needs. It begins to convert that into fats and store it away for another time. So if you think about it, it's the stored energy, it's what's left over um, that the body hasn't used. It is the reservations, and it is considered the choice part of the animal. What's interesting, though, is that this fat was burned on the altar with also two other internal organs, the kidneys and the lobes of the liver. The organs also represented in ancient times spiritual realities. Like we, we will often like say this ourselves. But we'll talk about our heart, like we're talking about our soul. You know, I, I believe this in my heart, right? We use this type of language. They did as well. They, they, the seat of your spiritual self is in your organs. The heart would be the sentient element in man synonymous with your spirit or your soul. The kidneys are connected to the seat of the mind, your mind, will, and emotions. So often they would believe the kidneys were attached to your mind. In Psalm 26, verse 2, the scripture here says, Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my what? My heart and my mind. So what, what's he asking? He's asking, God, examine my life. Examine my, my mind, my heart. Examine my motives. Examine the things in me that, that can't be seen. 
examine me to see if there's anything wicked. We understand the heart, but when it says the mind, that word is also translated in English as reins. What steers your life? Examine my heart and my reins. In the Hebrew, which this verse was written, that word reins is the word kidneys. Try my heart and my kidneys. My reins. The things, my will, my emotions, the thing that steer my life. So there is a connection between the organs and the mental and spiritual faculties. There's this understanding that the organs were somehow used as a metaphoric symbol of the soul of a being. The liver was the heaviest organ thought to be connected as the seat of glory. Because the word glory also can be translated as weight or weightiness in a good sense. What's also interesting is that the kidneys and the liver are two organs that are responsible for eliminating toxins in the body. So it takes what's impure in you and it purifies you by flushing it out of your system. So here we're taking what would make you pure out so that what is impure remains and then it can be sacrificed later. It's quite interesting. We'll have the mind explosion in just a minute. So in essence, the best and the richest portion of the sacrifice, the seat of consciousness, the weight of glory was offered to the Lord. This is to show that the animal was not partially destroyed but completely destroyed. That the sacrifice wasn't just a physical, but it was also a spiritual sacrifice, the body and the soul. In Isaiah 53 verse 10, this is what it records about the Messiah. It says, it was the Lord's good plan to crush him. And to cause him grief. It wasn't just Jesus was our sacrifice. There was a purpose. God was going to crush him. And cause him grief. Not just physically. But Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Said it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. Crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. His glory was destroyed so that we could be glorified. His mind and his emotions were brutalized so we could have peace. His body was beaten. He was striped. He bore the wrath of God so we could be healed. All the very best things he enjoyed, he offered up so that we who had nothing to offer could enjoy the best he had to give. His sacrifice was both physical and spiritual and emotional. Number five, the offering, the sin offering, was to be taken outside of the camp. So whenever someone committed sin, they couldn't sacrifice this in the camp. The one specifically for sin had to be removed outside of the camp. Here's what it says. In Leviticus 4.3, says, If the high priest sins, bringing guilt upon the entire community, he must give a sin offering for the sin he has committed. He must present to the Lord a young bull with no defects. What's interesting here is that he is saying, if the high priest sins, he brings guilt on all the people. This is a spiritual truth. And why it's so important in who we elect as our leaders over our nation. Because who we elect, we become responsible for. But the high priest, if he sins, the sin of the high priest would bring guilt upon 
the whole community. The failure of our leaders have consequences for the rest of the population. And we can look back at Adam, who Adam was the representative of God on the earth. And when Adam sinned, sin passed upon all men, all creation. The high priest not only had to offer a bull for his own sins, but he had to offer sins on the, uh, a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement for the sins of the people. He had to offer a male with no defects. Remember, there's a correlation between your station in life, a, place, a person holds in society, and the sacrifice they had to bring. The poor could bring a bird, but the high priest, the top of the food chain, had to bring a bull. In Luke 12, 48, it says, But someone who does not know... And then does something wrong will be punished only lightly, but someone who has been given much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. See, with God, the punishment fits the crime. Your responsible level also matches your requirement. And here the high priest, the top dog in the nation, had to give the greatest and most lavish sacrifice. He had to offer the bull. He had to burn its liver and its kidneys and its fat on the altar in the temple or in the tabernacle. But then he had to take the rest of the animal outside of the camp. In Leviticus chapter 4, verse 11, it says, He must take whatever is left of the bull, its hide, its meat, head, legs, internal organs, and dung, carry it out to, away to a place outside the camp that's ceremonially clean, the place where the ashes are dumped. There on the ash heap, he will burn it on a wood fire. So this place where it says where the ashes are burned, it's a place that is understood as the place where corpses are burned in a funeral fire. This is a place reserved for the dead. So it's not just a place they, they threw the ashes. This is a specific place dedicated for funeral burial. The spiritual aspects of the sacrifice were presented before the Lord. The kidney, the liver, the fats were all presented before the Lord in the camp. But then the rest of the sacrifice was taken outside of the camp. And in John 19, 16 through 18, Jesus is before Pilate. It says, then Pilate turned to Jesus over to them to be crucified. They took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, they went to a place called the place of the skull. In Hebrew, it's Golgotha. And there they nailed him to the cross. The two others were crucified with him, one on either side, and Jesus between them. On the night of his crucifixion, the day of his crucifixion, Jesus was first beaten in the city, in the camp, flogged to an inch of his life. And then what was left of him was taken outside the city to be crucified. We know in the moment his body was offered on the cross that he died. That he offered himself also before the very throne of God spiritually in heaven. With his own blood, he offered his own blood on the altar in heaven before the Lord. Just as the offering for sin, his sacrifice was done in two stages. It happened in two stages, a physical sacrifice and then also a spiritual offering made on our behalf. And this is what we see in sacrifice. Number six, the fire must be kept burning. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, the fire must be kept burning. And not just romantically, if you're sitting next to your, that's true, if you're sitting next to your spouse, but this is something spiritual. The fire must be kept burning. Leviticus 6.12 says, Meanwhile, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must never go out. Each morning the priest will add fresh wood on the fire and arrange the burnt offering on it. He will then burn the fat of the peace offerings on it. Remember, the fire must be kept burning on the altar at all times. It must never 
go out over and again in Scripture. The fire symbolizes God's wrath and judgment. His purification, his refinement, his wrath and his judgment. And Jesus in the New Testament, as he's speaking of the end of things, as he's speaking about the judgment in Mark 9, 48, he says, in the judgment, it's the place where the maggots never die and the what? The fire never goes out. The place of judgment is where the fire never dies. So just as eternal as God's love and grace and his peace as we'll spend eternity with him forever and ever, enjoying all the goodness of God in hell, God's justice never runs out. For all eternity, the fires continue to burn. In Matthew 25, 41, it says, The king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. See, the fire of God, the judgment of God, was never meant for humanity. It was a place of judgment prepared for the devil and those that followed him in rebellion. But God cannot let the angels who sins escape justice, neither can he let mankind who aligns with these angels in their rebellion. God will punish sin. The fire will get its sacrifice. If not Jesus, then we'll pay for our own sin. But even in this reality, Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God sent Jesus. Why? Because he knew the fire never goes out. And he wants none to perish, but all to come to faith in his son. And so when Jesus died, he was thrown into God's judgment. The wrath of God was poured out on him so we could escape the fire. We could escape the fire and he could pour out his grace upon us. When Jesus descended into the grave, the place of the dead, but beloved, Jesus did not get conquered by the grave as do all of us. Three days, he rose in mighty victory. He came up with all power and all authority. The fire could not conquer the Savior. The Savior conquered the fire. And in Revelation chapter 14, it tells us another story about eternity. And it's not the death of Christ. It's not that death or sin or the devil reigns in hell. But in Revelation 14, it says the smoke of the torment, the wicked ones who are cast into judgment, they rise before the Lamb and His holy angels forever and forever and forever. Who's in the throne in hell? It's Jesus. Why? Because He conquered it. He defeated it. He doesn't just reign in heaven. He doesn't just reign on earth. He reigns everywhere. Because God is God alone. For this reason alone, we have to be thankful. For that very reason, he conquered sin and death so that we could escape judgment and spend eternity in life with him forever and ever. That reason alone is why we have to be thankful. James 1.17, it says, but God didn't just give us salvation. He says, every good and perfect thing is a gift coming down to us from God the Father. Every good thing you experience in your life is a gift from God. Why? Because God lavishes his love extravagantly. He's an extravagant God. He meets you where you are so you can come to him, so you can escape judgment, 
and you can receive life. And that is love and cruelty and death. God showers us with all sorts of goodness. We receive more than what we deserve. Right? Salvation is not just a get out of hell card. It's a get into life card. It's a get into God's grace, his favor. And that word grace means undeserved favor. And as a believer, as a child of God, if you're walking with the Lord, you will experience more favor in your life than even you recognize. This past week, like I said, I was, I was doing a grocery order. And uh, th- this um, cafe downtown in Frankenmuth orders this big order. There's like uh, eight 10-pound bags of flour in this order, among other things. And so as I'm going to do my, my shopping and running around like a chicken with my head cut off in the store, uh, it, you know, singing Christmas songs to myself, but out loud so I can annoy everybody, um, it, it's fun. But uh, I noticed that on the shelves it says limit two per order, two per customer, two bags of flour. So I'm thinking, well, they let them order it online, and this is a shipped order. This is a special online order, uh, so it probably doesn't apply to me. So I went ahead and loaded up my groceries. And I went out to the self-check, and everything was going well until the self-check attendant looked and saw all the flour that I had. And she's like, I don't, we can't let you take that out of the store. And I'm like, well, they ordered it online. They let them order it. Why, why can't we do this? And she's like, I don't I'm, I'm not allowed to do that. And as I'm having this conversation, another uh, shopper that's part of the same company was checking out in another lane that noticed the order, knew exactly what company it was for, spoke up and said, oh, that belongs to... Uh, the bistro in Frankenmuth, we're their only supplier, and so you need to call your manager and see if it's okay that they get that because this is the only place they get their product. And so she's like, okay, and she calls the, the manager. She's on the phone for just a minute. She comes back and she said, yeah, we'll, we'll let you go ahead and, and take the order, and, uh, but, but we're not supposed to you know, allow this to happen going forward. And while she's on the phone, I'm like, God, please give me favor. Please give me favor. I need to get this order done. I'm running out of time. Let's do this. And when she came back and she gave me permission, I'm like, man, God, you're so good. Because nobody else is getting through that line with eight bags of 10-pound bags of flour, right? That's just not. But that's the favor of God. And things like that happen to us all of the time. We experience stuff like that all the time. A deal goes through you didn't expect. You find five bucks in your, in your pocket you didn't know you had. Things happen all the time. And it's the favor of God that he lavishes on his kids. On his children. He's such a good God. There are so many things for us to be thankful for that we don't even realize. Which brings us to number seven. The Thanksgiving offering. Just so happens we're celebrating Thanksgiving this week. We're all about Thanksgiving. This was a voluntary peace offering. A voluntary sacrifice. Which means this was not required. This was your choice. You didn't have to bring this offering. But you could. And if you decided that you were going to bring this offering, that there were things that you had to do to bring this offering, what was significant about the peace offering is they believed that, by, that anything God did for you that was good put you in God's debt. So when you brought the peace offering, it settled the debt. That's what they believed. And so this peace offering reestablishes relationship, right relationship with God, and you enjoy the fellowship of God's peace in your life. With the Lord. When fellowship was broken, this was a way to bring restitution. And not just forgiveness, but repair the relationship. So the Thanksgiving offering, a voluntary offering, had some requirements. They were to bring an animal for sacrifice. But then they were also commanded to bring every kind of bread they could make. God loves carbohydrates. 
But in this offering, it wasn't just every kind of bread you could cook, like every way you could cook it. It wasn't just the unleavened bread. God also said, bring the leavened bread. Don't just bring unleavened, unimpure, or like pure, but also bring the impure. Unleavened cakes, unleavened wafers, cakes of fine flour, and also leavened bread. Nothing was to be left out. God had them bring all of it. Why is that significant? It's because a thankful heart recognizes God's hand in the good and in the bad. Romans 8.28 says, God causes all things to work together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. Does God cause the sin? No, but he works in it to bring about your redemption. Did God cause your marriage difficulties? No, but he worked through it to grow you into maturity. Did God cause your failure at your job? No, but he taught you a lesson through it that made you successful the next time. God uses it all. So he brings the good and the bad. In the book of Job, Job has everything taken from him, and he has this such a heart of thankfulness. He says, you know what? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. A heart of thankfulness recognizes God is in the midst of it all, and I have gone through some very difficult seasons, and many times when I look back, I think, man, I wish I just... I wish I could just skip that part of my life, that I could never go through that, that I wish I never made the decisions that I made that caused those things in my life. But when I step back and say, but look what God did in me through that, I think there would have been no other way. I needed to go through that so that I could come out stronger on the other side to grow and mature as a husband, a father, and a leader. God never wastes a hurt. He uses all the pain in our lives to grow us into maturity, into who he's created us to be. And so I thank him for those tough seasons. Ephesians 5.20, it says, give thanks for what? For? For what? It's up there. I can see it. Give thanks to God for what? What's everything? It's everything, right? Give thanks to God for everything. To God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because everything comes from the Lord. Every good thing. And in the midst of our brokenness, his goodness is still available. It's still shining. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward as we begin to transition our time. We all have reasons to be thankful. Every one of us. No matter what life you've lived, no matter what's happened to you or what you've gone through, you have a reason to be thankful. And in just a moment, I'm going to open it up for us to share why we're thankful with one another. There's something we used to do around the table, our Thanksgiving tables. We would say what we're thankful for before we get into our meal. And I just think it'd be a special time to just take some minutes together as a family and talk about what we're thankful for. You don't have to be long and drawn out if you have something you'd like to say. Or if you have something you'd like to say but don't want to say it, you can still say it. Because we all have a reason to be thankful, right? And here's why it's important. Not just to be silently thankful, but to also be corporately thankful. To give thanks together. In Hebrews 13, 15. It says, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. If you've been in church any amount of time, you've heard that phrase, the sacrifice 
of praise. What is the sacrifice of praise? It's declaring your thankfulness to God. That, that's a sacrifice. It's, it's a letting what's inside come out for all to hear about how God has been good in your life. And what's he say? How often should we do this? He says continually. Don't let it stop. Always be thankful. We should never stop thanking God for what he's done. And then he says, with the fruit of our lips. What is the fruit of our lips? It's our words. Proverbs says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. So how much life is going to pour out when we're speaking thanks to God? When we're thanking the Lord. God, I thank you for healing my body. I thank you for the way my kids have turned out. I thank you for how you came through in this situation. God, I thank you. It's a way to release and it's a sacrifice of praise pleasing to the Lord. We should not just thank him, but we should declare continually our thanks to him for all he's done. The thing about the Thanksgiving offering in the book of Leviticus is that it was also a community meal. They would offer the sacrifice, but then they would take the meat and they would sit down and eat together, the priests with the people before the Lord. The Thanksgiving offering, the peace offering, was meant so that you can enjoy the peace of God not just personally, but as a people. A fellow, time of fellowship together. So this community meal, this symbolic of the fellowship that's established with God and it's enjoyed together through the peace offering, we know that was Jesus. Jesus has fulfilled all of these sacrifices. He is our peace offering. Not only does Jesus bring peace with God, with us for paying for our sins, but he also brings peace together as he unites us together in his family. One of my favorite promises of God, and you'll see this. Remember I said that mind-blowing moment, that aha moment? Here it comes. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and what? Thank Him for all He's done. And then you'll experience God's what? Peace. And the peace which exceeds anything we can understand will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ. What is your heart? Symbolic of your spirit. What is your mind? Your kidneys. Your soul. The peace offering that was given brought peace. It was an offering of thankfulness. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, you offer your sacrifice of praise. And you thank me out loud verbally. And I'm going to give you the peace that you can't describe. And I'm going to guard your guts. I'm going to guard your heart and your mind. Jesus gave us his heart and his mind so that we could be protected in ours. In a world full of anxiety, we don't have anxiety problems. We have thankfulness problems. What do we worry about? We worry about how this isn't right, this isn't right, this could go bad, this could go bad, this isn't good, this isn't good. Oh my gosh, this makes me uncomfortable. This, 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 this. And God says, fix your thoughts on what is good, what is right, what is holy, what is worthy of praise. 
you don't have an anxiety problem. You have a thankfulness problem. You have a gratitude problem. It's time to stop thank, stop speaking your ingratitude. Stop speaking your criticism. Stop speaking your negativity, which is death, and start speaking life and speaking thankfulness. No, I'm not going to think about that. God, I praise you for this. No, I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail. God, I give you praise for this. Oh, that guy cut me off. God, thank you. You slowed me down, so I missed the accident. God, I didn't have the money I needed to pay this bill. Praise you that you're going to come through in this awesome way that I get to tell people about. God, my, my family still doesn't trust you. I praise you that one day they're going to and we're going to worship together. You can call out all the bad. But why? The world does it for you. Only you can call out the good. Only you can give thanks to God. And he is worthy of it. So for the next few moments, let's give thanks. I'm going to invite you. Chris is going to have the microphone down here. When you have something on your heart you want to share, just raise your hand. And Chris is going to bring the microphone to you. He's going to hold it because, you know, germs and all that. But we want you to speak into the microphone so the people at home especially can hear. But let's give thanks for a few moments. And then when everyone shares, we're going to worship God together. And we're going to just come together in worship for his goodness. Amen? Amen. So who's first? In the back. people, um, but I want to thank God for his word, that it says that he does not give us a spirit of fear, but a, a, a spirit of a sound mind, and um, so I'm thankful for that, that um, I can know that I'm not listening to what Satan says, um, in, in um, having faith, and to be bold, um, and to help anybody else here <laughs> to open up um, to start this so that if you have the same fear of speaking, um, I'll share in that with you right now, but we're going to overcome fear. Yeah. Um, so I first want to, uh, second want to say that, um, you know, the Bible says, um, acknowledge him in all your ways and he will guide your path. And I, I thank Joey um, for today's word. Um, because um, we are to give thankfulness in everything. And um, and as we acknowledge God in all our ways, he will guide our paths and he will guide our mind, guard our mind. And, um, and I just thank God for his um, love and his grace and his mercy on us every day. And I th I'm thankful for my blood family and um, that my blood family is starting to come here more. Um, it's growing. Aunt Nancy's here, Lauren, um, my sister Betty. I'm thankful for that. Um, I prayed for it for a long time that as our loved ones that have gone and, and passed and, and went to heaven, um, they're there encouraging us and cheering us on. And I, I just always pray that um, as we gather here as a family, that we can be encouraged by one another and know that our loved ones that went before us is there worshiping together and praising God 
and we can do the same here on earth. And um, so that was, that's been my prayer, and the family is coming, and I'm so thankful to God. Um, and again, I'm, I'm thankful for his word and his love and his grace and his mercy. I'm thankful for Joey and Tony, um, for what you, you the, everything you pour out in us um, and your sacrifice and the, um, allowing the spirit to flow here. Um, and I'm thankful for everyone and everything. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Deb. So as, as we do this, I want to encourage you all. I want, what I want to do um, in between what someone has to say is I want us to celebrate. I want us to clap, cheer, and just give, give praise to God through Yay every God. testimony. Yes. Amen. Amen. Let's be excited, church. I'm thankful. I'm just thankful for God's amazing grace Amen. in my life. And um, he's healed me in so many ways. My heart, my body, my soul. And I, I'm so thankful for this church yeah. and everybody that comes here. I'm thankful for Joey and Tony for all you put into it. And just leading me back to God. I thank you so much. God, praise God. Amen. I am thankful for God for putting me in the position to serve the kids and to be able to preach to them and for them to learn God's word. I do want to tell you guys that they are doing amazing. The last six weeks, I've challenged them. Yeah. And they are learning it. Amen. And it is awesome. Woo! Yay, God. Woo! Yay, God. And today is Crystal's birthday, so make sure we tell her happy birthday today. Yay, happy, happy birthday, birthday, Crystal. Hey. Woo! Down front. get my exercise. So um, the Bible says to give thanks for everything, so I'm going to list everything. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm just, this is going to sound really basic, but um, I'm very thankful for how God has always provided for me financially and how I'm healthy and I don't have any pain in my body overall. I'm um, just thankful for my family. Um, I have most of my family here. They're doing well health-wise and that he's protected us from the COVID and um, just that I have a stable job and just my church family and how he has surrounded me by so many loved ones and so many friends and um, that he has just grown me over the past four years just tremendously. And I'm just thankful for his provision, for his leading and his guidance and there's just a lot and um i'm just very thankful amen yeah you got amen uh, yeah i'm thankful for for vertical life church and i thank 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 you joey and tony for all that you do 
And I'd also like to thank the staff and the volunteers for everything that they are doing to make this church possible. And I'd also like to thank Jolie Kids for stepping up and doing all the work that they are doing. You know, for Re Reese on the computer. And let's give him a hand for all the work he's doing, Reese there, for the computer. And I'd also like to thank Chris for all the work he does, and Dave and Jan and all the staff and all the volunteers that makes everything possible. It's a lot of work, you know, and it takes a lot, a lot of people to do all the work that the church needs. It just gives God thanks for everybody. And i also like to thank you, God, for protecting us from the virus that is going around. And thank you for letting us meet as a family in our church. And I just thank you, God, for, you know, being me, for providing for me and all that you do and all that you do for everybody here. We're going to give you a big thanks, God, and we worship and praise your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. You don't need a yeah. mic? Okay. Yeah, let's, let's speak in the microphone so that uh, folks online can hear. Else. Yes, I just want to say thanks to Joey and Tony, and I'm thankful for this church. Um, it's put me in a better path, and uh, I love everyone here. Everyone's super nice to me, and my girl Amy here, so thank you. And I'm thankful for my job, my family, and uh, just keeping me healthy and, and my family. Love you, God. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Um, I just want to thank everybody for being my friends and most of all, my family. Uh, my family means a lot to me and I love you all. Thank you for the church and everything. And most of all, my two grandchildren, they're beautiful. I love them. Thank you. Amen. Yes, God. say that uh, I'm thankful for the greatest gift uh, I'll speak for my wife and myself to say that when both my children choose to accept Christ as their savior and put him on in baptism there isn't a greater gift to that as a parent yeah. and uh, to watch my daughter this year be baptized and my son to accept Christ uh, and be baptized is the best gift uh, anyone could be give. And uh, as parents, you know, we strive to see the best in our kids and the friends that they have that surround them, uh, the friends that my wife and I have, uh, it's unspeakable. And all glory 
is due him. And it is Jesus who, uh, who deserves that glory. It's our Lord that deserves that glory in all that we do. I'm very thankful for that. Amen. wanted to, this is kind of might be, a, I don't think it'd be long, but um, I want to start from the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I didn't worry, I didn't, I had God's peace and um, it was just, that was probably the first time probably ever that I have not been in that, but um, from the beginning of it till now, I can testify that I had a peace. And uh, he provided everything our family needed, and some. And uh, he exceedingly abundantly gives more than we could ever ask for. And uh, just to be in that season of just being able to sit, and God hitting the pause button, and just be able to sit in that, just be able to just enjoy everything he's provided. And just to testify that before you guys, that it's an amazing thing. And it's not to boast in the possessions, but in the boast in the one that gives the things we need. We're so thankful for everything. I'm so thankful for everything that God has given our family. And through the, in the church, um, I mean, we, we were looking at our numbers last night of what our church looked like last year around December to what it looks like now. And we call that the double portion. And it's just, it's amazing. And uh, we hope to share that with you guys sometime. But I just uh, want to give a shout out to God for everything that he's done to provide for our family and our church family. It just, it just never ceases to amaze me, his faithfulness. And uh, I'm thankful for my wife, thankful for my kids, and uh, just thankful for having work. And uh, thankful for all of you. Amen. Anybody else? I am thankful that no matter where I've been in my life, no matter where I fell from God, He has always been there. He's always forgave me. I'm thankful for God's mercy and for God's grace. I'm thankful for the people in my life that have I do want to say thank you, first and foremost, to my wife, my family. Without their tireless sacrifice, I couldn't do what I do. And they make me a better man and just a better follower of Jesus every day. 
And I also want to thank you all for showing up. If you didn't come, we wouldn't have anybody to do this for. And as much as people have said they're thankful for us, we're equally as thankful for you. And being a part of this, whatever God is doing, we're thankful that you've come and wanted to be a part of that. And it's been such an encouragement to us that, that we can see the things that we've believed for and we prayed for that, that God is using you to fulfill. And each one of you are a special encouragement to us. And uh, we just, we love you and pray for you and are so excited that we know the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And so let's turn our attention as we've given thanks. Let's sing. And let's close our time just worshiping the Lord. We know his presence is here. He's already moving. We just want to bless him. at Vertical Life Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.